Let us pray together. I once was blind, but now I see. Dear God, we pray for those words to be true for us as well. And for that, we need a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our congregation. Be with us, be present with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've been coming today to the end of our worship series on racism, I've been sensing the Holy Spirit drawing my attention in particular to what Jesus says in our story today about being able to see. And I see you, Noah and Leah. (laughs) Welcome. So Jesus, in verse 3, says to Nicodemus, No one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see God's reign. No one can see reality at its very depth without being born from above, without a complete and profound transformation by God. Salvation and healing, Jesus is saying, can only begin when long-time religious folk, like Nicodemus, and maybe like some of us, can admit that we have a blindness problem. can only begin when we turn then, seeing our need, when we turn to God for new eyesight, for 2020 vision that we so urgently need. As Anne Lamott, the author, says so beautifully, heaven, heaven is a new pair of glasses. This got me to remembering something really, really embarrassing that happened to me back in the early 90s when Danette and I were grad students in Charlottesville, Virginia. Back then, this is pre-Jasmine days, pre-J. After a long week of studies, we loved nothing more than to go see a good movie after a very intense week of study. But there was just one thing back then that regularly caused me to blow my top. The absolute incompetence of movie projectionists in Charlottesville theaters who kept forgetting to focus the movie. Boy, that made me angry. So this is how things usually went. Uh, Danette and I would settle down at the movie. The title would roll up all blurry. I'd start huffing and puffing in my seat. Ever done this? And then I'd march out into the lobby 
and ask someone to please focus the movie. Finally, right before we headed to China, I went to my doctor for a routine physical. (laughs) And when I asked to... And when he asked me to take a look at the eye chart on the wall, wouldn't you know it, that eye chart was blurry too. (laughs) Out of focus. You're not going to believe this, but I I still remember walking out of, after I got my glasses, I walked out into the parking lot of of the optometrist, and I looked at a tree. And I was amazed. Green individual leaves, not just blobs. I'm really not making this up. My world had been going out of focus and I hadn't noticed. And uh, there's one good piece of news. Ever since having my glasses, I've never had to march out to a theater lobby ever again. In the Gospel of John, it's important to notice right what happens right before, if you have your Bible there, right before Nicodemus' nighttime encounter with Jesus. It's the story of Jesus' clearing the temple of the money changers and tipping over all their tables and sending their doves flying. It must have been quite a sight. Now, what we often miss is that what he's doing here is a direct critique, even attack, on the religious and political powers of his day, Jewish and Roman, that are trying to control and to monetize people's access to God. And what Jesus is doing here is opening up access to God for those at the margins, Gentiles who had to be in the far edges of the Temple Mount court, women, the poor, folks with disabilities, all of them barred from entering the middle part of the temple, much less approaching the Holy of Holies of God's presence. All of this was divided and separated by walls of separation and hostility. Remember last Sunday we heard Ephesians 2 where Paul describes all of these walls of separation that Jesus wants to bring down. And it's in this charged atmosphere... That our friend Nicodemus, a leader from Jerusalem's religious elite, comes to Jesus under the cover of night. Notice verse 2. He's drawn to Jesus precisely because he says that Jesus cannot be doing the signs that he's doing apart from his being filled with the presence of God. 
I love those words. The presence of God. You see, Jesus has that impact on everyone he meets. In his presence, we sense the presence of God. And as the followers of Jesus, we too can experience this reality as well. I remember in seminary how I found myself invariably drawn like a magnet to those professors in whom I sensed the presence of God. Willard Swartley, Marlene Krupp, Marcus Smooker. For them, studying the Bible wasn't just a head thing. It was filled with God's presence. And today, as we send Jonathan and Megan back to their good work in Bolivia, I'm remembering a story they told me recently about how God's presence became real for them down in Cochabamba, Bolivia. Lonely, far away from home. And the mother of a friend invited them to come spend Christmas in her home. The presence of God. You have to wonder with Nicodemus, has he spent his whole life trying to be good on his own steam? Ever tried that? Doesn't work very well. Trying to follow every jot and tittle in Scripture, scrupulously tithing on his mint and dill and cumin, and yet still he hasn't found what he's looking for and what he sees in Jesus, the presence of God. Now, being a religious expert, he probably comes to Jesus assuming that he just needs a tiny little spiritual tune-up. I know that feeling well. Just a little tune-up. Nothing major, Jesus. (laughs) And so, I mean, Dick and Audrey, you read so well. We heard the bite of Jesus' words here. It must be incredibly shocking for Nicodemus when Jesus tells him that he is basically blind. Tells him that he needs a profound conversion, transformation from above, so that he can begin to see his world, to see people with the eyes and the vision of God. Not just a tiny little tune-up, but a comprehensive spiritual overhaul, a reboot. I find it so interesting that Jesus doesn't just give Nicodemus a to-do list which is maybe what he wanted. Instead, I believe Jesus is leading him to a realization and a question. Being blind, dear God, will you please help me begin to see?
in his book, White Awake. You heard me right. White Awake. Chicago pastor Daniel Hill says that this Nicodemus story has so much to teach us about how to engage racism as the followers of Jesus. Especially for those of us who are white, we are so quick to turn to problem solving instead of turning to God. Pastor Hill says that especially when it comes to racism, we need to begin with the acknowledgement of our inability to see. We're blind. And only when we get to that place of confessing our lack of sight can Jesus begin to heal us of a whole lifetime of conditioned social blindness or socially conditioned blindness. As Leonard Dow told us three Sundays ago, Jesus is knocking at the doors of our heart. Do we want to be healed? This past week, Linda Gaiman Peachy drew my attention to what Jesus says in verse 11. Words that are especially stunning when we hear them thinking about racism on our minds. Jesus says to Nicodemus, we testify to what we have seen. Yet you don't receive it. You refuse to see what we're telling you about. In our story today, we never learn how Nicodemus actually responds, do we? Is he ever able to see his own blindness? But later in John 19, we do catch a wonderful hint. There, after Jesus is crucified, Nicodemus is the one who goes out now, not in the night, but in broad daylight, to lovingly care for the broken body of Jesus. So there was some kind of transformation there, even though we don't know what it is. Friends, these past Sundays, I confess, our sisters and brothers of color have been steadily describing a world of racism that I, as a white man, still have a whole lot of trouble seeing. I'm like that. Remember that story of Jesus? He heals the blind man and he's still, all I can see are tree trunks. Remember that story? It's beautiful. It helps us to see that our healing of this blindness is often going to be progressive rather than immediate. Rita Smith-Waydell described a system bent on preserving white supremacy. 
and diminishing and demeaning people of color. Leonard Dow talked to us about the physical the physical impact of racism on black bodies, black minds, black souls. Cheryl Miles, two Sundays ago, shared stories about discrimination at work. And the one thing that moved me most was her fear for her two boys. That really touched me. I get that. Jesus Cruz shared with us about his brother being stopped 11 times to be frisked in one year. How many times have you been frisked? Bernardo and Kara shared about the completely different way that they are treated on the phone when people call for the Davis family and the Martinez family. Both of their last names, but there's different treatment when it's for one or the other. As Jesus said, will we receive and believe our friend's testimony? Will we believe it? I don't know about you, but this whole series has me feeling like I'm back in the doctor's office in Charlottesville looking at a blurry eye chart. And in this series, I've been asking myself again and again, how well do I really see? How well do I really see? And the beauty of asking this question is that it keeps me turning towards, surrendering to the only one who can heal me and my blindness, God. When you get home today, I was going to bring it up, but uh, if you just take your bulletin cover, we printed it one last time in color so that all of you can take this home, cut it out, and put it that well, that beautiful well. Maybe put it on your fridge, maybe put it in your workspace, on the job. No one will know what it means, but you will. No one's going to know what it means except you. It's a reminder to keep drawing from God's well. Let me remind us of one of the most crucial principles for those of us on the path of Jesus. God never asks us to do anything, even seeing racism in the world and in our own hearts. God never asks us to do anything that God does not supply, the courage and the strength and the peace and the grace for us to begin to accomplish. accomplish. Amen? So keep on going to the well. And keep that picture up in a place to remind you.
An African-American pastor in Chicago gives one of the best definitions that I know for white privilege. He calls it the ability to just walk away. Nothing academic about that. Just the freedom to say, I've had enough. It's time to go home now. To return to our comfortable lives, to change the channel, to stop thinking or caring about the suffering of sisters and brothers who are so very close, but yet they are out of sight. And as we end this series, I appreciated Jenna last Sunday. She said, let this series be the first step, not the end. As we end this series, there's a temptation for us all just to walk away and change the subject, isn't there? But instead, today, in a brief time of silence following the sermon now, I invite all of us to consider, to listen to the Holy Spirit. What might our next small step be? To pray, God, I'm blind, will you help me to see? Maybe the Holy Spirit will lead you to begin just simply noticing folks of color in your circle of relationships, in your neighborhood, your work, wherever, and to get to know them better, to value them, to hear their story. Maybe the Spirit will lead you to read novels or to go see movies like The Hate You Give. To see the world through someone else's eyes. Or maybe you'll just start participating in our community meals and in our winter shelter with a new kind of curiosity. Maybe your eyes will be a little more open Dear God, we're blind. Will you please help us begin to see? Amen.